ladies, welcome to our podcast, The Millennial Girl Way, the podcast that highlights real millennial women doing the damn thing by turning their dreams into reality. Today, we have a special guest on our show, Miss Asha Terry. Uh, Asha is an author, certified life coach, and award-winning mental health advocate. She is also the founder of Behavioral Health Consulting Services, which provides consulting, counseling, and coaching to creatives and small business owners in the wellness and entertainment industries and educational sectors. As a mindfulness practitioner, she's coached and consulted people throughout the U.S., Asia, Africa, and Europe on personal development, lifestyle, and wellness. So as you know, ladies, with all that's going on today, you know, in today's world, we think it's very important to have these conversations surrounding um, mindfulness and wellness. So we're very excited to have Asha on today. Thank you for joining us, Asha. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, So just to start it off, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got started in the field of psychotherapy? Yeah, so I knew since the age of four that I wanted to be a professional helper, but I thought that was going to be through my becoming a nurse. So everything from four years old until I went off to college was about that. And once I was actually in the program, I learned by year two how unhappy I was and that it really wasn't for me like I thought it was. So I went into human services graduated with my incoming class, which was a big goal for me. And um, then I continued to pursue my career as a mental health professional, got a license in social work and uh, master's in social work, and then founded my private practice about six and a half years ago. So now I offer counseling, coaching, and consulting. That's so amazing. I mean, it's always you know, a, a wonderful thing when people get into those type of fields. Um, I grew up with, uh, my mother was in teaching. And so throughout a lot of her career, she also had to become kind of like a, a mental coach for the kids that she taught um, growing up in certain areas. And so, you know, I think that's just an amazing field to be in. Um, yeah. It, because, I mean, it's much needed, right? <laughs> Absolutely, especially during these times. Absolutely. Um, So just to, you know, get into it, how do you first navigate, you know, being a a mental health expert and, you know, a psychotherapist for others um, and then helping them along with, you know, breathing life back into yourself? Because that's very important as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One, I do my best to not take on other people's problems. I've been doing this work for so long that I'm not immune to people's pain, but I definitely don't work to take on other people's pain. And from my work as a provider of mental health and then a coach over the years, I've really learned how to separate that boundary between me and other people. So there's a way to be compassionate and present for people without embedding yourself in their story, if that makes sense. Um, So I, I, one, as a small business owner, I'm, I'm fortunate right now that I have been able to thrive for the last four and a half of the six years that I've had my company. So I don't work every day. Um, When I do work, my my days are pretty long, but not working every day is one way that I stay well and preserve myself. Um, 
I make sure that I give myself a lot of love and a lot of good things from silence and meditative time and laughter and mindless activities as well as good food and good drink and <laughs> um, and love of people around me. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, I think with COVID, we're all trying to figure out how to kind of step away and take time for ourselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know personally, sometimes I even struggle with feeling like I don't know, like I, I should be doing something else and kind of putting mm-hmm. uh, that laughing with others and loving myself and taking a step away from work. I kind of put that on the back burner. Um, and, you know, I know it's your profession, so, you know, you're very well versed at it. What type of advice, um, you know, do you give people who are struggling with, you know, just trying to create a better um work-life balance and then bringing happiness back into their life? I honestly believe that it's hard to have a balance because we live in a culture that's driven by accomplishments and Mm -hmm. competition. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know we would live in a time like this, but I Mm -hmm. thought either people would have to rebel the system to get back to the other areas of their lives that they really appreciate or something in the universe would have to shift in order to force people to get back to the other things about their lives that they really appreciate or they miss. So ironically, (laughs) you know, I'm now living in this time with COVID, but um, I, I think it was necessary. So I do much, I do very much believe that this is a spiritual revolution for a lot of us who kind of was waiting for something to force people to slow down and Mm -hmm. reassess their values and their principles and what else matters besides working and trying to get to the next level of whatever career success you you're climbing. So um, I just think that there's so many things that people can do to harmonize their lives, but balance is something I think we have to rediscover or, um, make room for a new definition because I don't believe that most of us have balance. And so harmony would include finding things that you do with passion and joy and presence of mind. Sometimes one thing may get more of your attention than other things. Um, But that like anything else will shift and hopefully you'll be able to continue to bring the same type of care and presence to what else you you are interested in doing or have to do. So um, to be more grounded, I would say, number one, finding a practice of gratitude really opens up that channel to not um, regretting so much or um, being frustrated by the things that you have to do. And when you do that, you find more things that you're actually grateful that you do have, the small things that you have, the things that you take for granted a lot of times. And when you have an attitude of gratitude, things really change. Absolutely. And I think that that's a, that's a real journey in itself, right? I can Mm -hmm. go ahead and admit, let me hold my hand up, right? You can see me. (laughs) I I definitely do not think that I have enough of that balance in my life. And it's, it's really crazy that I think COVID has actually um, lent to me being a little bit more invested in work, which, which is ironic Mm -hmm. in itself. I think that Um, the job that I have now 
I think because everyone is working from home, they expect that they have more of your time. Right. Um, which is something that, you know, us as workers, we've kind of been re- rebelling against because you need that time to, whether it's just having dinner with your family, having conversations with your loved ones, you know, being able to get away from the computer. I feel like I had a little bit, just a little bit more of that time when, you know, it was just the regular hustle, hustle and bustle. But now that COVID is here, um, I think that, you know, managers want you up earlier they want you staying on the computer later and it's been kind of hard to deal with so um have you heard you know of anyone having that kind of experience Asha yeah zoom fatigue and um, (laughs) all of these different compensating techniques to keep your job and not be furloughed yeah absolutely um the the Blessing and the curse is that most of my clients have continued to work during this time and work from home. So that's been good for their mental and physical health. But absolutely, this has been the time for people to renegotiate with their bosses the things that are going on parallel to work. Whether people know if you are a single person or a married person or a parent Mm -hmm. or they don't know that it shouldn't matter whether they know those things um, or not to help you understand how to create some kind of boundaries with your job because this was already the problem we had before COVID is that there were limited boundaries between work and home life. Most of my clients work 10 hour days. Uh, Sometimes they worked on the weekends. Sometimes they checked email when they got home and that created a lot of anxiety in people and and ailments and physical pain. And if people are expecting bosses, jobs, managers are expecting that you should keep that pace going and they've totally missed what this time is really for and this time has been for a lot of people to reset their values you know what they care about do they want to live closer to home do they want to move back in with their parents do they want to be you know connected to people that really are important to them do they want to not make work the only uh priority they have for the day right because that's what was going on already so i've been able to fortunately have some success with clients that i've counseled and coached to say negotiate your J job with your boss, negotiate your, negotiate your task and responsibilities as much as you can before going back into the office. And it's worked in a lot of cases where people can uh, opt out of screen time, um, can ask for maybe some emails as opposed to being on five Zoom calls a day, um, asking for to highlight the priority emails to attend to versus selectively putting other emails um, second or third to respond to later if there are other things that are going on. And to also be honest about what's happening with them, whether it's that they, they are dealing with mental stressors um, and how that's impacted by their work, or if they have responsibilities at home, like they're caring for other people or they're living with someone else. So those things need to be accounted for. And, and thankfully, um, my written work and my work with the media has included both on the macro level with people and on the micro level with people to help people to really shift the expectations um, with returning to work or working from home. Yes. Right. And, you know, I, I like that you mentioned, you know, the fact that 
with people having other responsibilities. And then I, I know at my job personally, we have taken so many HR surveys since this started about, do you yeah. have children? What's your work life? Um, what's your home life like? Um, do you have an at-risk person? Do you have this? Do you have that? And sometimes I feel like, yes, I understand they're trying to create a game plan that maybe encompasses everyone. But at the mm -hmm. same time, it, it starts to feel like I have to have a reason yeah. in order for mm -hmm. me to feel like if I came to my manager, if I came to my job and said, listen, this is a lot, you know, I'm, I'm going mm -hmm. through, look at what's going on in the world, you know, um, yeah. but unless I have something that ticks off that box, my feelings are not going to be validated or, you know, they're not worth them creating some type of action plan. And I think that causes a bit of stress in itself, you know, is as millennials, we're kind of used to writing our own stories and now things are changing and we're feeling like, um, I don't know, like we have to have an excuse to want to mm -hmm. just be healthier mentally. Um, yeah, I get it. The leverage, right? And some of right. that, some of those questions, those invasive questions, <laughs> I question if they're even legal because mm -hmm. um, if, if this was a job interview versus you're in the job and your boss is asking you these questions, okay. I still don't know how legitimate the law says that they have the right to ask some of those questions. Um, I know when it comes to applying for jobs, uh, employers are no longer allowed to ask for your last salary. But it's also, when you're applying for jobs, they're not allowed to ask you your marital status. So why now should those things right. matter, your marital status, your, your parental status? Because if you're stressed, you're stressed. You don't need to necessarily have other people to stress you out. Right. <laughs> you know, right. we're living in a pandemic. <laughs> it was like, come on, people, be real. So I, I just feel like a lot of that is um, the ways that leadership functions in certain organizations to maintain power and to helicopter their their employees. And I just go back to, if you hire the people that you thought you knew and you found out that they weren't those people, then definitely COVID's gonna kind of prove that. But if you hire people who did a good job when they were in the office without your hovering over them, then you need to trust that those people will still do their job. And if something goes askew, then maybe be more curious on a human level as to what that is and be a human being and recognize that everyone is adapting to change and change is going on rapidly and it's going on constantly. Um, so some of these surveys just sound absurd because, again, it's starting to pit the, the haves against the have-nots and saying that basically if you have children or have a spouse or have someone you're caring for, that somehow your life is more important than other people who don't. Right. Yeah. That's very I mean, true. That's pretty unfair. It, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because we all have our personal things going on. That's right. That's right. So let, let's back up a little bit. Um, so I, I wanted to get into um, why you decided to actually build a, a business surrounding this. What were, you know, the gaps that you really saw um, that needed to be provided that weren't being met? <clears throat> In terms of the company that I own? Yes. You're, yeah. <laughs> so... I founded my organization six and a half years ago, 2014. So this was, you know, several years after the slight bounce back from the recession. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't quite clear, honestly speaking, what I was doing on what direction I wanted to take my company. So I was initially 
putting myself out there as a consultant and, and I did get some opportunities to consult on some projects some films um, and then I just started to grow my social media brand and became more comfortable with that until I became much more comfortable with my services as a provider in mental health working for other people and when I branched out to really like full throttle go into entrepreneurship three and a half years ago um, there were things that remain the same for me, which stand true today. I wanted to be a trailblazer. There were not enough mental health providers of color at the time. There still aren't. Um, I wanted to be one of the first people that in my community I knew would have a private practice as a young black woman um, that would service primarily people of color. And to me, that was going to be, I felt groundbreaking because I didn't know a lot of people of color, women of color, especially who had private practices. And I had the background of entertainment and mental health and, of course, nursing before that. So I was already familiar with healthcare and the different models. And I had gone back to school and become an analyst. And so I had a lot of uh, experience behind me. And I just really honestly didn't want to work for anybody else and do it in a machinery kind of way like you do when you work for other people. So as Mm -hmm. I got my footing and became more clear about my business idea and concept, I knew there would end up being three prongs to my services. And so it started off as consulting and then it moved into counseling, psychotherapy. And then finally, when I went back to school, I got my certificate in coaching, coaching. And so here I am now feeling like a, a, fully built house (laughs) (laughs) with all the amenities in it and um, I'm thriving and I knew what my legacy was um, about but you know you never fully know that Um, or at least what I wanted it to be about and yeah um, it's been a great ride so far I've had a lot of success it's um, expanded my portfolio now is not only those three things that I do, counseling, consulting, and coaching, but it's also writing. I have a book out. Um, yes. I write for outlets. I blog. And it's just been a wonderful ride so far, thankfully. Yeah. And we were going to get into the book as well. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to highlight something that you kind of spoke on was the fact mm-hmm. that there's a real gap between um, services for my minority women, yes. for black women. Yeah. Um, and for black in general. And I think that us seeing that that is something that needs to be highlighted and and really really um there needs to be a real deep dive into that arena um for us because i think that our experiences are vastly different from you know the experiences of others (laughs) um even you know white women white men or whatever we experience vastly different things and so i think our mental health we need to um we, we need more services in that, in that aspect. <clears throat> and for a lot of reasons, there needs to be more diversity in mental health care because, yes, we often think about what you and I are talking about, which is mm-hmm. we need more black practitioners. That's absolutely true. Yes. But now we also need more mental health first aid people. We need people who are trained in mental health first aid that if they see a crisis that they could perform help with do it because Mm -hmm. everything may not mean going to an emergency room for or may not mean going to a therapist for it may mean just having someone right there to help diffuse um, a conflict or to 
uh, de-escalate a panic attack, right? So these kind of things, people, lay people don't have to go to a four-year program to become certified in. You can get certified through a, a couple of hours training in mental health first aid. But also beyond the, the, the color spectrum, we need more mental health providers that speak other languages. We often forget that too. Like if yes, we want to talk about yes. diversity and mental health care, it can't just be the cultural sensitivity part. It has to be looking at things through a racial, a racial acuity, um, through looking at things through uh, the different lens of gender orientation and identity, and also being able to have more providers that speak the languages that are growing in population in our in our U.S. states, which are Spanish-speaking people, French-speaking people, Haitians, you know, Creole, um, Mandarin, Chinese. We need like Urdu, Arabic. We there are so many other reasons people who are disabled to see disabled practitioners. There's just yeah. so much that um, crosses different intersections that do not get discussed and. Right. That was something I didn't even consider when I came into the practice. I mean, aside from the language piece, because I, I spoke other languages at the time, but I just also saw there weren't enough women of color, there weren't enough um, women who were in private practice. Uh, there are lots of women who work for small organizations and nonprofits, so that's, that tends to be what uh, everything is geared towards, is women being helpers, but not enough men of color at all um, who were you know, frontline workers as opposed to administrators. So, yeah, I just needed to be one of those people who could expand the look of mental health and I wanted it to look like me. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's what makes just you even starting your own practice so important because having that mindset, you know, your house is only going to grow, right? And so you're going to maybe at some point employ other people to continue um you know, your same message and you already have these things in mind to really help the community grow. Um, yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and I know, you know, you've been in business for a while now. Um, I know you said you've gone through, you faced some um, challenges. What are some obstacles that you encountered along the way of like running your own business, starting your own business over the last few years? And even conquering your own mental health and yeah. mindfulness and wellness as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. Well, I don't want this to sound too ethereal, but I actually have had a lot of prosperity. And I think that okay. matters to share, too, because yes. not everything is a hardship. Um, yes. there are people out here who are killing it and, uh, we need to hear those stories too. The hard parts are starting a business, um, not knowing what you're doing. Cause I didn't go to B school. I went to social work school. You don't learn right. in social work, how to run a business. They teach you like this capitalist society we live in, how to work for other people. They don't <laughs> teach you how to work for yourself. So, the, the, right. Yeah. <laughs> But now I'm hearing the, the stories are different. I'm glad. I, I know some millennial therapists are like, oh, no, they're now starting to teach you how to start a private practice in, in grad school. I'm like, well, it's about time. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, we, need, we need that. So 
there were just things that I didn't know. And I taught myself, but I also sought out help. I went to the Small Business Administration, and I always tell people, go to your local resources. I got a lot of free help and training in developing a business plan, um, budgeting my expenses, uh, social media, which I wasn't familiar with as much as I am now back then. Um, then I was able to hire someone to work with me while I worked for other people during the day. And then eventually I started doing some of it myself. And then we created a blog and I learned about brand awareness. But I had a lot of success because I was already um, affiliated with other practitioners. Not that many, but some. And I, they were very generous people, white men um, who were seasoned professionals, people of color who were going into the practice that had had more experience than me and other areas of mental health and people would share resources thankfully back then people would yeah. you know talk to you about how to get a client what fees you should charge um where to promote yourself i was very fortunate in that way um the hardships yeah it was a great blessing and then social media helped tremendously because i really think that when i started putting my face on my um profile which I didn't do for a long time. I think people yes. were pleasantly surprised. Remember that? People just had like some other like corny picture of themselves, like right. a cat or something, <laughs> <laughs> a flower, a sunflower <laughs> avatar. Like, uh, okay. I don't know if that's a real person behind that bot, but all right. right. So when I started putting my face forward, which I was scared to do, mm -hmm. I think people were pleasantly surprised that it was a brown woman talking about mental illness. And um, talking about treatment and prevention and was actually doing it. And then I, I had, a, you know, I'm young, so people were, I think, really surprised by that. But I had really positive responses because it was just a great time. I think timing really matters. People wanted yes. to see people like me. And so then I started meeting other clinicians, thankfully, that were brown and black, too. And then next thing you know, it was like a pool of us out there on social media talking about what we do. So... Because people helped me, people were happy to inspire um, me and to send referrals my way. My business is supported 98% by black people. Mm. Oh, my God. I love to hear it. Oh. Yeah, that's my clientele. That's who send okay. referrals my way. That's who share my posts on social media. That's mm. who tag me and stuff, try to get me in lives when I'm working with patients. <laughs> I'm like, I'm working. I can't jump on an IG live, but all right, thanks for thinking of me. So, yeah, that, and I want people to know that when people talk about, and, and I've been in this position once before, but I didn't stay here very long. When people talk about black people don't want to pay for services, that is not true. A lie. Stop yes. saying that. Black people sometimes don't understand the value of certain services mm -hmm. because they haven't been familiarized with it. So right. they're skeptical. They're suspicious at times of who you are, especially in an industry that has terrorized black people. So, of course, I get it, but I'm going to tell you, I'm a living testament. My, my clients and my, co my colleagues are a living testament to black people supporting our business, and I don't take insurance. People pay out of pocket. Wow. I do some, yeah, yeah, I do some sliding scale. My client, my colleagues do some sliding scale, but black and, and Afro-Latinos are the ones who primarily support my business. I have maybe 2% mm. Caucasian clients, all adult clients, and everybody pays out of pocket, and I don't have a problem getting paid. People refer people to me. People refer couples to me. People refer families to me. People refer <laughs> their friends to me in other states. <laughs> 
Sprinkling you know? that black girl magic all yes. over the place. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I'm Please just like so them. grateful. Yeah, yeah, I would say this though, just in running a business, the hard parts have come with um, just the, the long hours you put in initially mm-hmm. that can last for a few years, honestly, as you build up your business and you try to sustain it. Um, and occasionally you do have people that are like very... Um, inconsistent and you have some people who have some ulterior motives and I think this is the part I want to I want to make sure I leave people with is mm-hmm. with the success of the business and the, the gratitude I have for black and brown people who supported me and, and, and um, continue to support me there are those people who because of their own traumas of being black and not managing money well and not respecting money I've definitely had some periods where I've had to like dismiss clients who didn't pay me who would come to okay. sessions and then knew they didn't pay and leave. And then you go ask them for the, the, the funds and they're like, Oh, I'll get back to you. And then they disappear. You know? Mm-hmm. So that sadly mm-hmm. enough has happened. That's been the hard part because mm-hmm. I work so hard on behalf of black and brown people that those kind of instances felt very disrespectful and they were mm-hmm. very painful, but they weren't, they weren't a constant in my practice. They definitely happened in my practice. And, okay. um, and I just, I worked harder to try to alleviate that from happening and I put out more energy to attract the people that I wanted to work with that had integrity. Yes. And that's very important. Absolutely. That's very important. Um, so you have a book that came out uh, called Adulting as a Millennial, A Guide to Everything Your Parents Didn't Teach You. Um, and I just want to say that I love the fact that your your book focuses on millennials specifically. Um, I think that, you know, people don't understand how unique the millennial experience is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in our generation, more so than others, you know, we've had a breadth of, of life experiences. I think we've experienced, you know, two recessions now at this point. I think we're going into one. And then, you know... Um, there's a large wealth gap <laughs> between, you know, our generation and earlier generations. Um, I think we have more fluent and isolated, fluid and isolated, um, you know, personal relationships with people. We're highly technologically driven. Um, you know, <clears throat> relationships are mostly situationships at this point. So I just... <laughs> why choose to you know focus on millennials specifically well one it's about the population that i serve and i would say probably 97 98 percent also of my clientele are millennials so it's just what i attract and i think they feel a sense of closeness to me and age um (laughs) they're willing to trust me because of just the way I appear. Um, and I try to make my messaging on social media, which is where a lot of them find me relatable. And I found that in all the work that I had done over the years with millennials, there wasn't a lot of support around them from older generations. And I just, in some ways felt bad for them that they had been out here trying to navigate life and just had some really messed up uh, principles. Um, And no one had really shown them 
to things that I talk about in the book that matter, which is how to build mutually beneficial relationships. How to utilize your networks and not be afraid to ask for help and be vulnerable and be consistent. Because one of the things that I struggle with sometimes with my clients is their consistency. Um, starting things and not finishing them. Um, starting too many things at once. Not staying focused on one thing long enough to see it to fruition. And I just found that that's a result of lack of mentorship. Um, mm. and, and discipline that really doesn't start in adulthood. It starts in elementary school. So okay. I, I, yeah, I just saw those gaps and I said, you know, you don't have to live a laissez-faire lifestyle. You don't have to have a lackadaisical attitude about everything. Um, you can actually live the life that you want and not dream of it looking like people's yacht parties on Instagram but it was yeah. real life that you love to live, <laughs> you know? And yeah. that I think is more meaning. And, and you could definitely establish healthy relationships, but there's also a lot of um, relationship trauma that I see in the millennial population that starts with their parents and mm. how they were parented. And so to me, that has to be repaired. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of people out here who will be in perpetual suffering because they have relationship anxiety. Yes. And so that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to be able to do more to help people that I possibly couldn't do in one-to-one care. So the book would do that for me. Right. Right. And I, I love that because I think that all of that is definitely things that, you know, first of all, we are millennials. So in some ways I can relate to what you were saying. You know, I feel like I mm-hmm. you were describing millions me. of things <laughs> at once and I can sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I finish them. Most times I don't, you know. I have the best of intentions. I go through that every day with my clients. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely um, understand that. And then also, you know, just with even as, even as simple as, you know, like being in the the dating atmosphere, you see, or you experience a lot of um, some of the things that you were talking about, you know, relationships anxiety um not being vulnerable not one not being able to you know really get close to um people and you know consistency mm-hmm. so I think that you know all of those things are definitely things that you know we've experienced in some aspect of our lives um and so touching on them is is very important these can also be very sensitive topics as well um you know childhood mm-hmm. traumas and things like that so <clears throat> What are, you know, just some of, like, off the top of your head, some of the major gems you think people will be able to gain from your book? Oh, a couple things. Um, Number one, how important it is to commit to your commitments. That's a major topic in my book. Um, Another important one that I talk about very often in my counseling and my coaching with clients is your feelings are not facts, they're feedback. Mm. Mm. So... Trust your feelings in terms of there's an intelligence in your womb. That's your intuition. Listen and lean into that more. If there's any ambivalence you have about a decision, then it's not a yes. So pay attention to that. If there's any feeling that you're getting in your gut that someone you're talking to or someone that you're interested in is not telling the truth, listen to that. Lean into that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there's that other intelligence and it comes from that area in your abdomen. So pay attention to that. Um, the feedback that I always say is not, you know, that's more important than the, the feelings not being facts is that 
feelings do matter, but they have to have a place. And what I mean by that is you can't get stuck in your feelings. You can't be in your feels 24-7 or you won't get anything done. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be productive citizens, so we need to be active in our lives. And though you may feel different emotions, feel those things too. I'm a therapist. That's what I do to help people to get to that place where they can feel things that they've been separated from. But I don't want them to stay there and become immobile, I want them to use that and I want them to investigate their feelings. And that's what the feedback is all about. The feedback is saying, why is this feeling here? Why do I notice it? What else is it bringing up for me? Is there something I can inquire more deeply? Or should I just take it at face value that it's a feeling and it'll pass? And that's where the mindfulness part comes in. So I think those things, you know, building off of there's something that you can learn from everyone that feelings are, are not facts or feedback um, and, and to commit to your commitments, man, that's going to do so much for your life because when you show up in your life for yourself, then you show up in people's lives and folks begin to trust you. And if you have people's trust, that's everything. Yes, yes. I agree. Um, you know, something that I just sitting here and thinking about when you were mentioning the consistency or just examining your intuition and relationships. I think a lot of the times um, people are often to just brush things off and say, you know, it's just a part of life. I do that a lot um, Mm -hmm. where I just chalk things up to everybody has something that's going on. So like, it's not that big of a deal or, um, you know, I just should just kind of mull over it because it's a part of the journey. Um, but we're not always able to identify, you know, when it would be a good idea to allow someone in like yourself and, um, help them with their transition. So what would you say, or what would be some key indicators, um, for that someone can look out for to determine like, okay, maybe I should look into getting a life coach, um, or a counselor. Mm-hmm. Great question. You want to look at patterns. If there are certain things that continue to occur, such as you continue to attract narcissists, that's a big thing in my work mm-hmm. with people that they mm-hmm. to not notice. If you, can, if you attract narcissistic people in your life over and over and over, your friends are narcissists, your, your lovers are narcissists, I would mm-hmm. say you're going to probably be experiencing a lot of emotional pain, gaslighting, uh, feelings of loneliness, and you're going to most likely need to seek out help to understand what is the trauma that continues to not get resolved in your present life that you need help with. Um, so patterns like that in your relationships. Also patterns of, of maladaptive coping. So do you use marijuana to numb your anxiety, but you don't do other things to also counter your anxiety? Do you use alcohol or sex or gambling to avoid other feelings that continue to arise when you are in your wakefulness, um, that would be something to look at. Do you tend to dismiss not only other people's feelings, but your own feelings? Do you evade those things because you don't quote unquote want to feel sad? So if those things are happening, then there is, you know, help for that. Um, If you're also having just some very basic 
interruptions in your daily activities of living, such as your sleep is interrupted and there's no specific cause for that. You don't know what's creating the sleeplessness or the restlessness or waking up tired every day. Um, if you're starting to notice that your body is changing because either you're eating more than usual or you're eating the same amount of food, but you're still gaining weight or drastically losing weight um, and you haven't had any medical reason for that, then you may want to talk to somebody about that. Um, if you're also crying a lot or with a lot of people of color, you're irritable and angry a lot, that would be another reason to seek out help because you may not have a, a conscious reason for why you feel angry or tearful or irritable. And so if you're finding yourself snapping at people and lashing out and having these explosive episodes or you're alienating from people and isolating and cutting people off, then you want to seek help for that. So if it's disruptive to your social life, your sleep and eating pattern, um, and the way you feel about yourself, those would be causes for treatment. And also stress, just daily work-life stress, too. Yeah. You don't have to be at a crisis to seek help. Right. That's important to note. And I, I think that's very all-encompassing. And, you know, um, I can't wait for our community to hear this episode because I know that sometimes you know, data, going back to when we were talking about like with work and having to have an, ex, an excuse for people to feel some type of way. Um, I think it is important for, you know, young women to know that like, it's, there's no limit to what you're going through for you to have to feel like, you know, um, it's not enough to be able to talk to somebody or you're not stressed enough or you're not going through enough mm -hmm. issues or that you're going through any issues really at all to have to seek people out and something I've noticed um, a trend and like I follow a lot of entrepreneurs is them promoting a lot of therapy um, and having mm -hmm. life coaches and not associating that with feeling off their rocker but just kind of associating that with their growth and making it a very positive mm -hmm. experience um, right. and I think that's oh, important yeah yeah because there's a stigma I, I agree I mean mm -hmm. I sought out therapy because I had experienced a traumatic event and I was having what they call flooding in my dreams where the things that I had witnessed in my waking hours from years mm -hmm. before were literally like a flood coming through my dreams. Um, and it was triggered by a traumatic event that I only heard about in my community. I wasn't even there, which is another sign of trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, PTSD, you don't have to be a witness to something devastating in order to be traumatized. You can have heard it and be traumatized or have experienced it through other people. So because of that, I went to therapy, but I went back to therapy. Um, I had done psychoanalysis and I did that for three years and then I felt much more relieved and um, more present to myself. But during that process, there were times that I wasn't overwhelmed. And when I went back to therapy, I don't necessarily think that every time I went, I was overwhelmed or like out of my mind stressed. It right. was also um, helpful to me because I learned through therapy what I wanted to do with my life's career. Yep. And that was very transformative. And that's sometimes what people come to therapy for. That's also what people seek coaches for, an executive coach, a small business coach. Most of my work in coaching is with people who are either about to pivot or they're in something that they need to grow creatively. And so I help them to get uh, to find goals to work on for their personal and professional development. So I tell people like, you know, this, this idea of crazy people seek treatment, that's a myth. And 
crazy people, if you want to call people that, which is really offensive. But if you want to mm-hmm. say that people are insane, those folks are on the street talking to themselves, avoiding help, uh, pretending they don't have problems. That's insanity. People who recognize that there's something to be done and how to empower themselves to get it done are people right. who are wise and strong and resilient and they seek help. So, yeah, a lot of people come to therapy nowadays not because they're in a tremendous amount of pain. Some, yes. Others because they're stressed or they're trying to figure things out and they want some support from an objective party who doesn't personally know them but can listen and give um, really helpful feedback but ultimately just listen and they will figure it out themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's And that's why I love the normalization of therapy and, and seeking assistance. I think Instagram and, and social media in general has really helped with that. And just like your story about once you put your face out there and now that there's that relatability where people see you and they're like, okay, you know, I can, I can see myself kind of consulting this person. Um, they may look like me or look like someone that um, I think will understand my story. So I think social media in general has definitely um, helped pivot that and made it a more a household conversation. I think we're still, trying to get there especially within I think the, mm-hmm. the black and minority communities um, mm-hmm. but I definitely firsthand know a lot of people people of color who are you know actively in therapy and um, if they're not in a face-to-face therapy um, they're definitely on apps that are built and made for, you know to help coach them through um, PTSD you know with what's going on in the world and just um, calming stress relief efforts. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Successful people need help too. That's what I think yeah. goes amiss, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it goes amiss in these conversations on social media, but people who are well, they're well because of lifestyle habits and because of support and right. the wise seek out other wise people. So a lot of it is just coming back to yourself and your own thoughts in a quiet space and Sometimes you just need to break away from your work and your responsibilities to do that. And that's what therapy helps you to do. Yeah. And I like that you kind of pointed out the fact that it does take a a person who is, you know, a strong person to really sit down and, you know, look at themselves and identify areas in which they may need help. You know, that takes a lot of uh, self-actualizing to to be able to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, And, you know, so you're all about encouraging millennials to to live in the now. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, me and Bray were just talking about this uh, not too (laughs) long ago. I have, we both have really bad problems with that. I, you know, I'm of such a future focused person. So even when I accomplish something major or I'm trying to accomplish something. I'm focusing on like what's next after that. And I sometimes don't even really get the chance to celebrate myself. I actually shy away from celebrating myself because I'm always thinking about the next thing. Um, So what are some things that you do to kind of live in the now? And then what would you recommend for people who, you know, have issues with that? I'm not perfect. I'm always striving to live in the now. It's a practice every single day. And let me tell you, when this book dropped, I was like, oh, I'm already on the book for next year. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me write down this title that's coming up in my threads. Let me like 
find the person's going to edit it. I was over here next like summer. Okay, so I'm I'm there with you because yeah. I I love life and I love doing things that bring me joy. So I was excited about the future and I did literally have to say dial that back, Asha. You haven't even gone on a lit tour yet. Like just chill. So right. for me, it's talking to myself in that way. And people kept asking me, "Are you excited? You're an author. Are you excited?" And I was like. No, not yet. And and I would get that repeatedly asked of me. And it, I said, I will feel like an author when my book is in other countries, when it's reached the number of people who bought it, when I feel like people are actually transformed by it. That's when I'll feel like this really made a difference. Right now, I'm still very much in the, the infant stages of this because we just launched the book. We did a pre-sale for about a month in June. Then we launched it a couple weeks ago. The middle of this week, we put it out on Amazon for eKindle. Um, we have a lot more coming along with it. And I'm just starting to do podcasts specific to the book. I was doing podcasts and TV and radio for my other work. But, um, yeah, I have now started to say, you know what? I've been working a lot. I do want to celebrate. So, we, you know, decided you that should. I'm going to take some yeah, Thank well you. We're going to take some, <laughs> some time to, like, literally have, you know, a Zoom party. And I'm looking at trying to plan that out and make that fun for people because I've never done that before. Um, I'm going to eat well and try to work out so I don't gain any more weight <laughs> while I eat well to celebrate this quarantine 20 stuff right, right. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to now just reminding myself of why I worked to get to this place but right. being still and doing my daily reflections and doing my end of the week gratitude notes that helps me to to remain more conscious and grounded in the present moment. So I'm always working on myself to do that. Lovely. And I just want to say, I have such a big smile on my face. You can literally <laughs> hear the passion in, in your voice. Um, congratulations mm. to the, yeah. the rollout of your book, to the launch. Thank you. I You're appreciate welcome. that. <laughs> um, so we're going to hop into like our wrap rounds, you know, just a quick, whatever comes to your mind first. Um, okay. Little question and answer session. So what are three mental health and wellness exercises you would recommend to our listeners? Mm, okay, so daily mindfulness, which starts with breathing, that's foundation 101, deep diaphragmatic breathing that helps with so much. Um, okay. Writing down what's in your brain. So I do something with my clients called a brain dump. When you have a lot of thoughts, you need to empty them out every day if possible. So start with having a book next to your nightstand or a journal that you go to or cue cards that you can write on, but you need to empty out your brain to make room for new thoughts and new visions. So empty your brain every day. Put some things down on paper. Don't hold all that in your head. Um, the other thing that you could do if that doesn't work is to record a voice note. For some of my clients, they love that idea. They're like, oh, yes, I'm like, yeah, you're with your phone all the time. Put, yes. a, put a voice note together, and, and it's, it's there. You don't have to send it to anyone if you're mad. You could just record it and then empty it out later, okay? So do that. And then I would say the last thing is to continue to recognize your gifts right? Because we're always looking for other people to show us who we are and to in some ways mimic, but everybody has something special. Even if you're a great listener, you know how valuable that is? 
Like I remember someone said to me a week ago, they said, why would I do professional listening? You can't get paid for that. I said, hello, you're talking to a therapist and a coach and I get paid for that. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, that was so, I was know. like, did you not? <laughs> Right, like, did you all of a sudden have, like, a, a senior moment in your 20s? What are you talking about? So <laughs> that is something really, really important. Like, don't look for the big things. Look for the small things that you do really well for people. And that could be monumental. And if it's listening, it's that you're a great listener. If it's that you're a cook, you're a great cook. If you're a writer, you're a great writer. Or make yourself a, a better writer. But we all have a special gift. And really hone those gifts and honor those gifts because – that's your special thing. That's what makes you uniquely yourself. So those would be the three things I would say. Okay. I mean, that, that last one is definitely something that I need to take more, you know, ownership of. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, what books, blogs, or, you know, other resources would you recommend for our listeners to read or, you know, reference other than your book? <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Well, I'll tell you guys this. In my book, I have a two-page recommended reading list at the back of the book. So I, yeah, that was one of the things I was like, absolutely, this has to go in the book. It has to go in the book so that people know, like, not only did I transfer my life by the things that I did from childhood to now, but here are some of the books that grew my business and my mindset and shifted my relationship. So I'm actually going to my bookshelf now to have one section of self-help books that really massively changed my business. So one is, um, (laughs) one is Real Artists Don't Starve, Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins, and that's G-O-I-N-S, and I list that in my recommended book list. Um, another one that was tremendously helpful because it's really something I'm growing right now is the 10 times rule, the 10 times rule. And that was super important. I found that when I was working in the city, um, at the bookstore near our office, because I was like, Oh, what is the 10 time rule? What does that mean? And this author, Grant Cardone, is someone that ironically, my brother later sent me a YouTube of, and I was like, Oh yeah, I know that guy, I have his book. Well now after having bought the book over a year ago and read it, I'm starting to apply those principles of growing my wealth 10 times. Yes. So that's a great book. Um, And then another book that comes to mind that is like something I really adore and I go to repeatedly is Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, because that book is a life changer. It needs to be in everyone's purse or backpack because the four agreements is all about like how to live your life without taking things personally and assuming and making your word impeccable. Like those are things that people really need in terms of building character. Um, So those things are things I listen to a lot. I mean, I read um, and I go back to and I would say probably um, in terms of podcasts, I, I go in and out of podcasts. Like at one point I was listening to Jesus and Joloff. Then another point I was listening to um, recently the Michelle Obama podcast. And I was listening to Jeannie Mai's podcast, Hello Hyundai. So I go like kind of in and out depending on my mood and who's talking about interesting things. Um, Slay Girl Slay was one of my favorites because I love that she just had like gems. She dropped in like 14 minutes and she was done. I was like, great, I can get that and be on a move. So I love Slay Girl Slay, and I love those books that I just mentioned. Okay, I mean, that's lovely. Um, And then the final question is just, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who is going through a transitional point in their life, 
um, and who are need and who are in need of some guidance, what would that be? Take your time. Don't rush the transitional process. That was the best advice. I have this. Um, I'll I'll put it out there because I think he should get the credit for it. So. So I have this, this friend who gave me this really great advice years ago, and this is sort of how my brain works. People say things to me, I read something, I hear someone in a conversation, and it goes into my subconscious, and then sometimes months or even most times, years later, it will come back up. And so um, Lamont Rucker, who plays Jacob Greenleaf on, on that show, uh, Greenleaf, yeah. he told me once when I was talking about just all the things I was doing and about to do. And I don't know if it was one specific thing, but I think I was really just mentioning, you know, the growth of the company and the podcast I was starting, et cetera. And he said, you know, take your time. And I, you know, could have gotten offended if I was sensitive to that. Like, don't tell me what to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I was like, Okay. And he didn't say why. He didn't give any gems about his own life. He just said, take your time. And, and I really, like, I listened to the point that now all of these years later, that, especially during COVID, is really ringing in my head a lot more because yeah. I get offered opportunities and um, thankfully people who want to be in therapy, but I, I say no, and I have to say no. And sometimes I want to say yes, or sometimes I do say yes. And then next thing you know, I'm like overwhelmed. So mm -hmm. I really have learned more often to have longer stretches of time where I've slowed down and I'm just focused on like, what are the things I'm doing this quarter? What are the things I'm doing this year? Um, so I usually plan out my calendar for work for 12 to 18 months. Um, and then occasionally, like, other things will come my way, and I'll say, okay, yeah, I could do that. Or, yeah, I could fit someone in this time of day. And then I go back to, like, what did Lamont say? Because when, <laughs> when he said that, and I think about it now, it just really opens up space for me to take care of myself and take care of the things that I love and to be with people that give me pleasure and, and, and feel happy around. And that I couldn't do or feel that way if I was just constantly working or being yeah. available to other people or taking on more projects. So I just really sometimes have to tell myself, like, slow down and assess what you're doing and then breathe. And when I do, I'm really grateful. And I, I oftentimes just say, I don't need anything. I don't need more work. I don't need more clothes. Yeah. I don't need to, like, go out more. I just have everything I need. And that is so good to say and feel and to just be all right with that because that wasn't always the case. Yeah, so taking right. your time and slowing down, that's what I would say, and allow the transition to teach you something. Oh, I, that's, this is a beautiful way to wrap up the episode because I think that that, mean, that message is important now more than ever because I think mm -hmm. for you know, millennials, a lot of us are working under, under the narrative that you have more time, so go, go, go. And you should be starting new businesses and making new ventures and um, just on 1000. But, you know, sometimes you just got to relax, you know, take some yeah. time. It, everything doesn't have to be on a thousand all of the time. Yeah. And it's all right. Enjoy this, this quarantine time. 
Yeah. And it's also hard because, you know, we we see a lot more of the world, too. Right. And so we are we're able to compare ourselves a lot more to, um, you know, what we see other people have, which could also be, you know, that could (laughs) that that goes into a whole nother lens of, you know, just Mm -hmm. uh, mental health wellness. But then, you know, also just slowing down and understanding that, you know, your race is your own race. Mm-hmm. Else, so. Yeah, it is. I'll I'll say this if that's okay. Just this one quick thing is that I do believe in um I believe in working hard, and I do believe that hard work pays off. And I think the best work is the work that you're going to do in your youth because mm-hmm. you're going to learn when you make mistakes, when you fail at something, when you meet people who helped you or, or you overlooked or didn't reach out to ask for help from. I just think like. When I go back to my 20s, I worked so much when my friends were chilling or maybe partying or traveling. And I, I started to travel, too, when I got to, like, my mid-20s and my late 20s. But I worked my ass off. Like, I, I did everything I could do to grow my skill set, to make more money, so that I could travel later, so I could live where I wanted to live. And, um, and I, I can't say it was easy or hard. It's just what I did. And I'm glad that I did because then it put me in a position to do other things earlier in life too, like to to finish my programs, my degrees, get my degrees and all of that. And so I think that it's nothing wrong with working hard in your youth and learning as much as you can, but always be a student of life. Don't think that you're too young or too old or when you're out of school, it stops there. But also, you know, make time for rest. Rest is revolutionary. It's necessary. We need it for our health and our wellness. Um, so, so be able to, like we said earlier, find harmony in both, like doing what you love, understanding what the intention is behind what you're doing. And lastly, really, really stop believing everything that you see. Because I'll tell you as a person who works with people who I have to protect their information, a lot of what you see is borrowed. People borrowed that dress, they borrowed that jewelry, they borrowed that car, they even borrowed that venue for the picture, and then it's on the gram, and it's immortalized on the gram, but they go home to their tiny little apartment with their their Target clothes, and they have a roommate that they can't stand talking to every day, and they're trying to figure out how to look good again for the gram tomorrow, or next week, or whenever they can afford that rental space. So just know that a lot of stuff is not what people see what people see is not what is and don't believe it and also find value in things that are non-material all that stuff is that decreases the moment you walk out with it and it doesn't say anything about who you are who you are and what you'll be remembered for is how you make people feel what you stand for what your convictions are about and what people don't see about what you do exactly yes that that (laughs) And claps. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just want to thank you for joining us today, Asha. Um, we hope you ladies enjoyed this episode. Of course, as usual, we will have all of Asha's information in the episode notes, as well as her special tips and reads that you guys have to check out. And we can't wait to connect with you ladies soon.